Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, friends. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends, and I'm your host, Calaros. And today, I'm really excited and delighted to be introducing you to a good friend of mine. Her name is Cara Saleto. She's the president of Crescendo Strategies, a firm committed to reducing unnecessary employee turnover by bridging generational gaps and making leaders more effective in their roles. Workforce Magazine named Cara a game changer. And Recruiter.com named her in their top 10 company culture experts to watch. Kara is also the author of the 2018 book, Staying Power, Why Your Employees Leave and How to Keep Them Longer. Friends, this is a fascinating episode where Kara and I brainstorm and talk about different strategies that you can adopt to enhance your speaking career. Uh, she also shares her wisdom on how to find your calling, how to get started uh, with a passion and turn it into uh, profits. Uh, this is really a episode with a lot of wisdom nuggets. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Cara Saleto. So good afternoon, Nick. Cara, welcome to the Wisdom of Friendship. I'm really excited and delighted that you took the time to be on this program. And uh, let me start off by saying how we first met. You paid us a visit at, at our NSA chapter here in Seattle. And, uh, you know, we uh, heard your presentation, which was about associations and how to really uh, book yourself solid. And I can assure you all of us really enjoyed your talk and I know having you on the show and sharing your expertise would be such a great delight for our audience. So again, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and to see you again. Great, Kara. So one of the ways we kick off our show is by asking our guests a simple yet profound question and that is, what is your favorite quotation or a philosophy of life that you live by and how have you applied it to your life? Hmm. Oh, gosh, that's a really good one. Um, <laughs> I think one that I uh, really live by, pers- try to personally and professionally, is a Dave Ramsey quote where he says, act your wage. <laughs> and so just more about um, living beyond, living within your means, not living beyond your means. And I take that to heart, not just financially, but um, with my time as well, that I'm very careful with my time and what I promise of myself and how I delegate my tasks and things like that. So uh, I just be, try to be really cognizant of my time and my dollars and my energy and, and those kinds of things to balance my, my work and life as best I can. No, I really like that. And it kind of like goes back to like a sense of authenticity and who you are being in the world. It's like the be, do, have philosophy. And I really like that. Uh, so that brings up another question for me. Uh, so you live in uh, Louisville, is that correct? Is that uh, yeah. you are? Uh, so is that is that where you were born? Or uh, so the, really, what I'm trying to get to is uh, where did you grow up, and how would you describe your childhood? 
Okay, sure. So I grew up just north of Louisville, Kentucky in southern Indiana, a smaller town called Jeffersonville. Uh, but we are in the metro Louisville area. So I grew up in the suburbs of the big city and, you know, just suburban middle class. Um, my dad's an attorney, but he was a his own practice and we weren't rich by any means. He just had his own business and got some clients here and there. And my mom's an accountant. <laughs> so pretty normal childhood as far as that goes, but um, my parents split when I was 11, and my mom got laid off several times because during the 1990s is when all the globalization happened in corporate America, and so my mom kept losing her job as big companies would downsize and consolidate and offshore and outsource and all of that, so um, so it wasn't, it, I didn't have a bad childhood at all, but it really was one that we had to just pick up our feet and fix whatever was wrong and make it through the day. And my mom is, is, oh my goodness, she is the most optimistic person in the world. And she would always tell us it'll be okay. And everything's fine. I remember when I was a kid sitting in traffic and uh, we were stuck, like nobody was moving. And of course, everyone else is honking and, rah, rah, you know, and they're so mad and other people are just getting angry. Why aren't we moving? Whatever. And my mom turned around and said, well, kids, it looks like there's an accident up ahead. At least we weren't in the accident. This is a good thing that we're sitting back here. <laughs> so she would just turn everything into, you know, the best situation it could be. And we would play games in the car or whatnot. And every time she lost her job, you know, she was sad about it. But she always ended up finding a better opportunity and showed us that you can just get to the next level. Or maybe that was a blessing in disguise, that type of thing. So it was uh, pretty interesting. One of the special things about my childhood that probably people may find interesting is we had a family band when I was a kid. Oh, <laughs> so <wow. laughs> I grew up, it was kind of like the Partridge family. Actually, uh, we played when I was little bitty. I mean, I was, I was singing on stage when I was four or five, six years old. And then when I was seven, my dad decided to make a family band, an official band, the Solettos. And we would just sing and we did a, a little bit of dancing, you know, the little background dancer kind of stuff. Um, and my dad would play all the instruments and uh, he sequenced some stuff and used all the technology back then in the 80s and 90s. And so we played festivals and weddings and corporate parties. Um, so I started making money as a professional singer when I was seven years old. And that's part of the, the journey that got me to being a professional speaker today because of that performance background. And when I realized that, wait a minute, professional speaking, that's like performance and business all in one. It's like a one man show, but I can tell my expertise. This is fantastic. <laughs> it, was, it was just fascinating. So no, that is so uh, great. So sounds like, uh, I mean, you had a really, uh, an influential uh, parents that really shaped uh, your values and and really I like the story about how she would reframe certain situations because that's such an important skill in life when you run into challenges or surprises well surprises that you don't like and how do you kind of like uh, turn a positive spin on it and really uh, empower yourself so that's really great um, one of the questions uh, 
<clears throat> Kara, we get is from our audiences is like, how do we find a calling? How do we find a passion? And sounds like you finally did. I mean, performing it at festivals and like, uh, you know, business and corporate settings. So you were able to like kind of link those two together to find your forte, if you will, to find your niche, if you will, of professional speaking. And for the benefit of the audience here, Cara is a highly sought-after national speaker, conducting over 50 to 100 engagements annually. Louisville Business First recently named her as one of the 2018 40 Under 40 Youngest Professionals. So, and you're also a published author. You've written a book called Staying Power, Why Your Employees Leave and How to Keep Them Longer. So, Kara, this is really great. So, so what would you tell or give your advice to people who might be looking to find their calling, find their passion, and uh, what's been your experience in those in that regard? Sure. So, I I think it's not important to be so specific about your passion to find like one thing that I can make a difference in the world. My, my passion is just helping people and businesses grow. I just want to help people reach their potential. I want to help their businesses be more successful. And to me, there are lots and lots of ways to do that. So my niche specialty, uh, as you mentioned, is employee retention. And that's my expertise as a business professional and as a professional speaker. But that actually, that niche found me. I have my MBA in entrepreneurship. And when I got that degree in 20, uh, from 2008 to uh, 2010, they taught me during that program that you really need to listen to the market. And so that was really important to me. When I went out on my own in 2012, I just decided to do general consulting. And I, I was just helping businesses and people grow, whether they needed some coaching or they needed a financial model for their entrepreneurial plan or whatever it was. I was just jumping in as an interim or a consultant to help them grow their business or grow their own career. And what happened was I was just listening to people and seeing what problems were happening. And a lot of people were talking about millennials. They were complaining about the young workers today. They don't want to work. They're entitled. They're lazy. All this stuff. Well, I happen to be one of the oldest millennials. So as I heard that happening, then I realized, you know, that this is more than just people complaining. There's an actual business disconnect here. There is a huge us versus them complex in a lot of organizations and industries. And so I started training on the generational gap in the workplace. And I do it from a different spin than, than a lot of folks. You know, a lot of folks who have been to generational training, they've seen all the statistics and all the demographics and, and those kinds of things or all the stereotypes types. And I said, no, I think I need to explain why millennials are millennials. And so I decided to go back to my childhood and figure out why do I not have a traditional sense of loyalty? Oh, it's because my parents got divorced and my mom got laid off three times before I got to college. <laughs> that makes sense. That's why I don't have loyalty for loyalty's sake. A company has to earn my loyalty. Um, and I looked at why millennials are entitled and realized that personal credit cards exploded in the States in the 80s and 90s. 
And so we were the first kids whose parents had credit cards. That was when Christmas and all the other holidays just exploded. The commercialization of all of that went crazy. And who was the beneficiary? Me, the millennials, we got everything we wanted for the most part. As long as you were middle class, you know, that you could get a credit card, then you got everything you asked for. So I just started to dive into the backstory of what's really going in, going on in the workforce. And then um, I was doing generational training and had a sales coach who said, you know, it's going to be tough to sell bridging generational gaps because that. That alone doesn't solve a business problem. So what is it that you're solving? What problem are you solving? And again, I had learned that from the MBA as well. And we we really narrowed it down to reducing employee turnover. As we were coming out of the recession, employee turnover was starting to run rampant more and more and more. And so I realized that the generational gaps caused some of that turnover. And then there were other things. What else causes turnover? Bad onboarding bad management, lack of trust in the organization, you know, all these different things that we now speak and teach about. But coming back to answer your question, that niche found me. So I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a millennial expert or I want to be a retention guru. I didn't really seek out the specialty in that way. I said, I want to help people and businesses grow and I want to listen to the market and find out what is keeping these executives up at night. What is keeping, you know, even small business owners and managers, frontline managers and supervisors, what's keeping them up at night? And it was the, the just rapid turnover that we're seeing today. No, this is uh, really good. So a uh, lot of golden nuggets uh, What you and what you just shared about. So really the folk, just to recap, basically, uh, you know, right after you did your MBA, you weren't specifically set on any particular area, but you went into general consulting and you were really tuned into the marketplace to find out what exactly is the demand, what exactly is the need. And then what you noticed was the employee retention was a big problem in the industry. And you Mm -hmm. kind of tied it back to your own childhood being a millennial yourself. And you realized that, you know, what were some of the reasons that there was no loyalty, uh, you know, growing up in a divorce family or all the credit card uh, availability and all that. And that led you to see, okay, what can organizations do so that they can earn your loyalty? So you mm-hmm. started like finding your niche, and then uh, that eventually led to uh, being the national speaker that you are. So really, I think what I'm also hearing is your essence of your service was really helping people and businesses grow, and that opened up you to all the kind of uh, market demand that was out there. So that, no, that's really great. So let me ask you this. That brings up another question, Cara, is like when you look back at your life, was there a moment, you know, we all have these strategic inflection points, if you will, but was there a moment in your life when you realized that this was like that breakthrough success moment, you know, when life was never the same again after that point and just kind of like took off for you in terms of success? Mm. Was there a particular moment or was there like a particular incident that comes to mind for you? Well, um, in 2015, I was a professional speaker and trainer and I was doing okay. I had one part-time assistant and I was doing okay with my business, kind of growing it slowly but surely. And then I had a health issue. 
And I went to a doctor's appointment and was immediately admitted into the hospital for 12 days where I was there, could not leave. I was under observation and then running tests and having procedures every few days. Um, And that changed everything for me, especially as a speaker, because I was the deliverable for my business and I was my business. (laughs) That was it. And so that was a game changer for me because I just realized that I didn't want to, and this is just a decision that I made. There are a lot of speakers out there that they love being a one man show or one person with an assistant. And that's their goal, that lifestyle and everything. But for me, it was too risky to play in that in that game. And so I decided at that point that I needed to build a business that was sustainable beyond Kara and that would make sure that if anything happened to me, my business could go on, my staff would still have jobs, my family would get the income or be able to sell the business or, you know, that type of thing. And so that really changed everything because I ran out of money. At that point, you know, my my health problem happened in July or August. And then I was after I got out of the hospital after 12 days, I was in bed for over a month, couldn't speak, couldn't do anything, couldn't travel. And then I just couldn't get the momentum back for that fourth quarter. I mean, you know, you've got to keep selling and then speaking gigs, get more speaking gigs, you know, that type of churn. So um, so. In December, I told my husband, I have to go get a real job. I'm out of money. I'm done. Uh, I, I have to go do something else. And he said, no, no, no. I think 2016 is going to be your year. So just what can you do to turn it around? And at that point, I realized, um, so I used to be an association event planner. And uh, it happens to be one of my secret weapons as a speaker today because I understand that association world very well. But what happened was I put on my event planner hat and I said, okay, Kara, So every time you call, they're saying, we've already booked the keynote for this year. So if the keynote is the only one that they pay, how else am I going to make money (laughs) this year? And so I decided to take my three most popular one-hour programs, which happened to be a millennial talk, a how to reduce turnover talk, and I think the third one was called like new strategies for new hires. It was about onboarding and and welcoming your new hires. And so I thought, you know, associations, they do seminars throughout the whole year. So they not only pay their keynotes at the conferences, but they will pay for pre-conference workshop speakers or an intensive on a certain topic, like a deep dive or a full day seminar. And I did happen to be at the right place at the right time as far as I decided that my niche was going to be workforce related, you know, workforce retention, which is a huge issue that almost every industry is dealing with. So I put together a one day flyer. I just built the the flyer. (laughs) That was it. I put together a flyer. I sent it out to all my association contacts and it was called the Workforce Summit. And it just said one day on generational differences, workforce retention, new strategies for new hires, you know, just that's all it said. It was very generic, to be honest. And I didn't know what it was going to look like exactly. But I sold 42 of those workshops in 2016. 
in addition to other keynotes and and other one-hour and half-day programs. But that got me back on my feet, and it made me realize um, this this is real, that we can do this. And it also helped me realize I was a little worried having spent two or three years focused on millennials and generational differences. I was a little worried that I might have been a one-trick pony. You know, that I was just going to be the generational girl and that was it. My millennial stories were were cool and cute and aha moments and that was great, but mm, that's all you can do, you know. But then when I, when I kind of hit the jackpot on that workforce summit uh, and it got such great reviews and then one state told the next state told the next state and states started booking me again saying, we loved it so much. People want to send their the rest of their team. Can you do it again? Um, and so that was that was really telling and a really pivotal moment for us that, that we made it, you know, and, and I started hiring more staff. I was able at the end of that year to hire a full-time trainer on my team because we had so much momentum going into the next year with that and other classes that we were teaching. No, that's such a great story. And so really, I mean, the other pattern that emerges from your sharing, uh, Cara, is that, uh, you know, when, when the crisis hits, you know, it's it's very easy to uh, uh, lose the perspective and uh, kind of get demoralized and disappointed. But I think one of the strengths that you've exhibited in your career is to bounce back, but not only bounce back, but kind of like take it to a whole nother level. I mean, it seems like a health crisis led you to reshape your career from going from a solopreneur to like really starting your own business and having a training company, if you will, and, and then... Uh, And then just leveraging your strengths, like being a meeting planner yourself and understanding the other side of the equation and saying, okay, how do I capitalize on that? How do I connect? And then taking chances. Sounds like you did that workforce uh, (laughs) uh, brochure. And uh, there we are, like uh, 42 workshops and keynotes. And uh, that's really an amazing success. So congratulations on that. Uh, So I want to go back to you. And this is... uh, This is something I'm sure the audience would be interested in knowing because, you know, it's easy to look back at our successes, but there are also points uh, of stepping stones along the way, right? I mean, you went from general consulting to a national speaker at this uh, really a successful national speaker. So walk us through that journey. How did that transition happen in terms of, let's say somebody is looking to be a professional speaker and has just started uh, figuring out the kind of keynotes they want to give and want to start, you know, speaking. What are some of the things that they could do to speed up that process so that they can start playing at a higher level or a national level, if you will? Sure. So uh, first things first, I have to give credit to the National Speakers Association, because if you don't tap into the to the mentoring there and the resources there, um, you know, when I went to the national convention for the first time, I literally stepped outside of a class, called my husband and cried thanking him for letting me do what I love and be here with these people because they were just telling me all of their business models and giving me all of their templates of how they are doing things successfully. And so I had a ton of mentors in my local Kentucky chapter, as well as around the whole country, people that will send me a licensing agreement sample or a template for this and a new template for that, you know, sample brochures or videos 
videos that they've done and things like that. So that really expedited my my speaking success. And anybody who doesn't tap into that is is just not taking advantage of everything in front of them. Um, with that said, I I took a chance. I left my last job. Luckily, I didn't have a lot of expenses at the time. I was 30, 31 years old, didn't have children yet. I wasn't married yet. I was soon to be, but not yet. And uh, I think I was actually either living at home with my mom. Okay, so let me back up just a step. After my MBA, I moved to Germany. And I lived in Germany for a year and a half teaching business English to executives, to German executives. And so while I was there, I blew through as much cash as I had and traveled all around Europe, (laughs) had some fun because I knew I would never get that experience again. So when I came back from Germany, I lived with my mom for a year and a half or two years to just build back up my cushion. And, um, you know, and my mom's my best friend anyway. So she's a great roommate. But uh, anyway, so that's why I had a little bit of a better situation. I had owned a home before that, but I had sold it before I moved to Germany. So I didn't have the mortgage and the children and and that type of stuff that that I had to worry about. So I had a little bit of wiggle room there. uh, And I had my my fiance at the time, who's now my husband, he was very supportive as well and said, go do what you love and give this a shot. Um, Early on, I was able to get a two day a week training contract with a with a large manufacturer in my area, and they let me come be on their training team as a contractor two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So that was what I called my base salary, <laughs> right? And that allowed me to just pay my bills and and get things started. And then what I did was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I built my business. That's where I went and got other contracts and started doing some training and building some of my own classes to teach. And that all happened on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I didn't just take one single leap out to no paycheck. (laughs) I did have a little bit of a, you know, kind of a runway there, financial runway. So I would highly recommend that people who want to take that leap, um, you know, you are going to have to to just – you know, do it. (laughs) At some point, you can't just keep talking about it. You have to just do it. Set the date, go for it. But as best you can, save up that financial runway before you before you do it. Because the speaking business, there's a long uh, sales cycle on some of this stuff. I mean, most of the speaking engagements that I book, we're booking six to nine months in advance of what that is. So it's not like you can just start speaking, you know, start your speaking business in January. And then in March, you'll be full calendar, you'll be good to go. And even today, um, so it's January when we're talking right now. (laughs) And this is one of the busiest sales months of the whole year for speakers because corporate groups have gotten their new budget and they're booking their annual meeting and training for the year. Associations are planning most of their spring conferences. Some of the bigger associations are planning their fall conferences. And so a lot of people call right now um, but that the people that are calling me right now, it's, it's very fascinating where they're coming from because some of them will say, oh, I saw you speak two months ago at this conference, but I am having people call me who saw me two or three years ago at a conference or a training. So it's kind of a snowball effect that when you get into this business, it takes a long time to get started and to get people to notice you and to call you. But then once you do a great job, 
uh, they, they don't forget you. And you do have to do some of the marketing materials, you know, um, whether you have a book or even just, I have a mini book. It's um, literally called a mini book. M-I-N-I-B-U-K is the company that I work with to make those. And they, it's been fantastic because I have this little tiny pocket sized book that has my business card in the back and I give it out to everybody. It's like my business card. I give it out to everybody in the audience and I will have people two years later say, I you know, I still have your mini book in my desk drawer or on my bookshelf. And so that has really been great that you have to give them something to remember you, something that they will keep and not throw away, not just a handout um, or something cutesy, but some real content that, that you can put in their pocket leaving. And uh, so, yeah, so that's how, you know, it's kind of built over time. And then what I do is I create at least one or two new programs every year. So I started with one hour on millennials, and then it was a half day on millennials, and then it was uh, that plus the one hour on retention, then we did the one hour on new hires, then we did the full day workforce summit, people asked for a second day of workforce strategies, so we built a second workshop, and now we have an eight-part boot camp that we teach for managers, and we've done an online course, this year we wrote a book, you know, so there's all kinds of things, but that, that's been five or six years in the making. You can't do a mini book, a big book, an online course, uh, you know, training programs, staff, this and that. You can't do it all at once unless you have a ton of cash, right? <laughs> unless you can, you can just front load all of that with some spending. That's fine. But we've had to grow organically and build one new program, you know, every, every half year or so. No, that's so great. So that brings up another question too. So uh, you mentioned uh, mentors that have been uh, played such a big role in your life. Anybody? So who were your mentors growing up, and whom did you look up to? And anybody that you want to give a shout out to that's made a difference for you? Oh, oh my gosh! How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> and and this is like a thank you speech. You're you're going to put me on the spot here. I'm going to forget so many people. You know, I, I think I would put it kind of into into some groups. Um, one is entrepreneurial women. I I have a very strong network of entrepreneurial women here in the Louisville area. We're a very entrepreneurial community. Thank goodness. Uh, Our mayor is an entrepreneur himself, so he's very entrepreneurial friendly as well. And we have a network of entrepreneurial women in town. It's called NEW uh, that I've been a part of. There's the women business owners group. Um, There's the women MBAs group that I've been a part of. So I have really learned a lot from other business owners, in particular women, um, and also within NSA, we have a group called Power Women, and the same. I have a monthly call every month with a different power woman to get to know her and her business model and her expertise and to share mine as well. And so I really feel like that has been super helpful, especially because um, women also face some, some additional challenges that it's not that men don't have them. But there are some things particularly about having children and raising a family that really bear a burden on a lot of women entrepreneurs, especially those who travel, Uh, because I'm flying 40 to 50 times a year for my job, and I have a four-year-old at home. Uh, So that is – 
<sighs> mom guilt is a very real thing. <laughs> Let's just say that, okay? Of uh, getting on that plane. And last week I went to Virginia and I took my son's little monkey with me. And I decided to take pictures of the monkey, you know, seeing the city and on the airplane and stuff. And so I'm trying to stay connected to him and show him the pictures and things when I get back. But, um, but that's another reason that I really care so much about having women mentors is because they understand the whole picture, not just the business and the entrepreneurial side. Um, but then I do have a lot of men mentors as well. Uh, I have a lot of strategic partners in the speaking space that they have expertise that I don't have. And so we share those things through a mastermind or a partnership. You know, there were many people that I learned from before I wrote my book and I learned some, some do's and don'ts uh, from other speakers that were ahead of me. And then I turn around and I help them work more with associations or uh, I'm known for being very operationalized. I have a lot of spreadsheets. I have a staff now of administrative folks. Uh, and so a lot of other speakers and entrepreneurs will say, how did you hire your first virtual assistant? You know, And how did you decide when to make people a W-2 staff member instead of 1099 contractor and, and those types of things? So um, so yeah, I've had a lot of a lot of different mentors within NSA, within the entrepreneurial community, um, and I guess I'd have to definitely give a shout out to Kathy Fiock. So Kathy Fiock is an NSA member, and she's been the Kentucky president multiple times. I think in the last twenty or thirty years, she's the one who brought me into speaking. And really told me that this was this was a viable career option for me, uh, and introduced me some to some of the right people right off the off the off the bat. So, um, so yeah, I definitely have to have to give her a shout out for sure. <laughs> great, great. No, that's that's awesome. And sounds like you've really surrounded yourself with people that are playing at a elevated level, if you will. So that helps mm-hmm. you raise your game, and in turn. You can help them as well. So uh, talking about travel, you said you lived in Germany and also you travel 40 to 50 times a year. So any particular place that caught your fancy over your travels uh, over the years? Anything that comes to mind? Well, as you know, as a speaker, we don't get to see much of the city. (laughs) (laughs) So let's be honest, if we're talking to entrepreneurs and and executives and speakers, you know, when you're traveling for work, it's still work. Um, But I do try to squeeze in a little bit of fun when I can. I am actually, I love food. I love good food and local food. So that's one of my favorite things is just to try great food and great beer. <laughs> so I like to have the local beers, the local brewery stuff. Um, so my favorite beer that I have found is the Spotted Cow in Wisconsin. If you ever go to Wisconsin, make sure you try the Spotted Cow beer. It's great. Um, and then lately, I've been really excited because I have a new client in New York, just outside of New York City. And so I have been to two Broadway shows in the last six months. Nice. Totally is amazing because I had only seen one Broadway show ever in my life until this past six months. So when I visited them, they knew that I was a theater kid and loved that. So they said, do you want to go to the theater? And I was so excited. So, uh, so yeah, that's been something that, that really has been a great part of a trip. But I, I just like to go to different places that I never would have gone probably on my own. Um, you know, the Wisconsin Dells were really cool. I 
I didn't even know they really existed. Um, and I was very impressed with Omaha, Nebraska. Mm. I had no expectations, but I really fell in love with Omaha when I was there. And the same with Boise, Idaho. Who'd have, you know, who'd have thought that Boise, Idaho would be great? But it really, it really is. Not that I didn't think it would be great. I just didn't. Didn't think much at all before I went. Yeah. I just had no expectations and it was really lovely. Um, And so I I like to find some of those hidden gems around the country. Of course, we all go and speak in Vegas and Orlando and and places like that on a regular basis, which is fun. But I like to see some of the the more uh, smaller towns or, or just those pockets of the country that a lot of people don't travel to. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, Talking about books now. Any particular books that you've gifted or reread over the years that mm-hmm. comes to mind that you would like to share with the audience? Well, um, I mean, I, I hate to be so old school about it, but Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, Covey, the Covey yeah. book, is my absolute go-to starter book for anybody, you know, whether it's a, a new career or a transitioning career or anything. I always recommend that. I also love um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, Mark which is yeah. a yeah, it's it's another good one um, because it also tells you how to transition from the producer level of being a great worker up to the strategy level. How do you get to that executive conversation and switch your brain, right? You've been so focused on getting the job done, and now you got to come big picture and, and get out of the weeds. So I really think that one's great. Um, of course, you, you know that I'm very uh, interested in, in women empowering women, so there's a great women book called uh, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. Mm. And it's really about, uh, it's not about being mean or, um, you know, not being a nice person, but it's more about asking for what you want, going for what you deserve, and not having anything like fear hold you back from uh, from achieving your dreams and things. So it's a great women's empowerment book uh, that teaches you some of the things that we do as women in business that we don't even realize, like when we feed the office, that's very motherly when you bring in food and it gives a motherly vibe to your coworkers. And so it just points out those kind of things that we do that might be a little girly or motherly. And it may, uh, it may point out the gender differences where we really want to be seen on this level playing field and equal and I can do that opportunity, you know, take that opportunity just like the next person. So that's a great book. Great. I think we'll include all of that in our show notes. Of course, Stephen Covey uh, is a really a classic and so is uh, Marshall Goldsmith's book. And mm-hmm. I will include the other one as well. And there's another book by Sheryl Sandberg on similar lines called Lean In. I mean, that's mm-hmm. uh, another fantastic book uh, on similar uh, topic as well. So, uh, Kara, here's another question for you. And, you know, when you look back at your life up until this point, with having experienced the ebb and flow, what would you say is your definition of a successful life or a happy life? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, You know, for me, success is about the journey, not the destination. 
So I don't think of it as when I make this much money, then I'll be successful and I'll be happy. Or when I am not working so many hours or when I get my MBA or when this happens, you know, when I get married, when I have children, whatever those milestones are, I've never thought of it that way. Um, I think my mom ingrained in me that you should just be happy with where you are and enjoy the journey. When I started my career, I was very adamant about climbing the ladder quickly. I wanted to just zoom up to executive level as fast as I could. And I, I was a director by age 24 at my company. I had two, two direct reports and a half million dollar budget by that point. I mean, it wasn't huge, but I mean, that, that's quite a lot for a 24 year old to have. And so I just was like climbing, climbing, climbing. I was a total workaholic, um, you know, staying late and working all the time. And that was even before laptops and smartphones were really popular. I still had a desktop at, at my work, but I would just stay late and, you know, get things done or take things home with me. And I remember thinking, I wish I was 30. I wish I was 30. People would take me more seriously. I wish I was 30. And I had a mentor, Tammy Knoll, at my first job, who she was about 30. She was a little older than me. She maybe between 30 and 35. And I remember her telling me, stop it. Stop, stop wishing your time away. Enjoy that you are 24 right now. Enjoy that you don't have children and a mortgage and, and things. Enjoy that you can just drop everything and go somewhere or stay out late and still make it to work the next morning. <laughs> she was like, I can't recover that fast, <laughs> but you can still do that, you know. So she really told me to, to kind of slow down. And of course, my mom told me, always told me to just embrace that moment and be happy with what you have and don't be envious of what you don't have and just think that, well, when I have that, then I'll be happy. So today... I have made it a point, and it's part of why I started my own business. I wanted to make my own schedule. Now, granted, as a professional speaker, my clients tell me where to be when, <laughs> but I can tell them no. I can say I'm I'm not going to be gone for my son's birthday, um, or whatever it is you know that that I want to be home for. So. I started my business before I had my son, but it was with every intention of being able to build my own schedule and my own career in that way. I came from a from a one career move that I had done before I started my own business. I was in government contracting, and that is a hurry up and wait business. You're waiting for the RFPs to drop. As soon as they drop, you're scrambling as fast as you can. You're working through the night to meet their deadlines. You turn it in you breathe and then you wait <laughs> until you find out if you won or not. And I really hated that because my schedule was not in my control. Mm. We never knew when those deadlines were going to be set or moved. They could be moved by the government with no, no warning um, and that type of thing. And I just, I found that that wasn't the industry for me. That wasn't the job and the role for me. So then I went out on my own to kind of set my own pace. And now I have chosen to delegate as much as possible so that I have time with my son. I, uh, I only have one son and I'm finished. So I will never have a four-year-old again. And I know that my older friends have told me that my mom has told me that I will never have a four year old again. So I close my laptop every day at 515, 530. And I don't open it again. 
until morning. Now, I may check some things on my phone if we're all sitting on the couch or, you know, I might sneak a peek at something. Uh, but I don't, you know, even after my son goes to bed, I don't get back on my laptop. My husband and I will watch our shows and uh, and head to bed fairly early and that kind of thing. So, so that's different um, than what I see a lot of people doing, which is they they feel like success is a certain milestone or a certain threshold, a certain date, something that they're going to hit, and then I've made it, and then that's going to be success, and that's going to be my happiness. Um, and going back to the quote that I said earlier, act your wage, right? I don't think it's about a certain dollar amount that I want to make in my life. I, I live the life I have now within my means. And as I make more money, I adjust my lifestyle and, and do those things. But, uh, but to me, it's, it's really about embracing the current situation you're in. If you don't like the current situation you're in, change it. Right. If you really are unhappy with the amount of money you're making because it's not affording you the lifestyle you want or if it's not the job or the boss you want, that kind of thing, then I highly recommend moving, figuring it out, do do something different um, so that you can find your happiness. But um, also just showing gratitude for for what you do have in the moment. And I'm 37 years old. I have a, a company now with six employees and I have a, a nice house. I mean, maybe someday I'll get a better, bigger house or something if, if that's what we choose to do. But but I'm happy with, with my house that I have now and my car's okay. And, you know, sure, I'd love to have an Audi. I don't have an Audi, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's something maybe down the road that that'll be, that'll be something I can have. But, um, but yeah, I just try to enjoy and be grateful for, for what I have. And I don't make a ton more money because I like to delegate everything out. I could make more money if I didn't have six staff and I just did more of the work myself and I keep all the money for me because I want money. But I don't want money. I want time with my four-year-old right now. Maybe in five or ten years when he's in school and I can go and travel a little bit more, then I'll try to make more money. But right now I want the time with my son. And that to me is success. That's uh, uh, well said and beautifully said, and I really like that. And it's, again, you know, trying to chase milestones, it's never enough, too, right? You get to that point, and then you say, well, well, this is good, but I got to go get to the next level. And you're always chasing, and it never ends. So, no, that's really a good point. So here's a hypothetical situation for you, Cara. Let's say if you had to go back in time and talk to your young self, and you could give her three pieces of advice like the best tips that you've Ooh. learned what would you what you what would you say to her uh dream bigger i would say surround yourself with people who intimidate you mm. you know people who are are bigger and bolder and you know um not celebrity status, but just people who are where you can't even dream that you could possibly be someday, but they somehow did it, you know, and surround yourself with that. Um, and also to, to just ask for it. There have been times when I have not, you know, I've thought, well, I'll just wait and it'll come. So I'll just wait my turn and I'll, I'll pay my dues and I'll work hard and then it never came because I never put myself out there and said, 
uh, can I have that? Can I, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. There were times that I, that I did that. Um, there were times when I asked for a job that I wasn't qualified for <laughs> and, and things like that. But there were also times when, um, you know, even just opportunities or to ask to be somebody's friend. You know, I was so intimidated by some successful people that I sat on the sidelines and watched them from afar for a long time. And then after I knew them or knew about them for five years, then I got introduced to them and found out they're they're great people and a normal person and they're they like friends and colleagues just like I like friends and colleagues and they like spotted cow beer like I like and you know whatever it was that we had in common and then all of a sudden I was like wow I should have introduced myself five years ago because I I had put somebody on a pedestal that I thought was untouchable um, and would never want to talk to me and so I, I think that would be it uh, I I was in advanced classes as a kid, okay, um, and I knew I was smart, like, you know, just in general. People would always say, oh, you're so smart, or you're in the smart classes, or whatnot, but when I got through high school, I was just applying to schools around my area. I had a really good GPA. I had a pretty good SAT score, and I was... I was just applying to University of Louisville, University of Indiana, University of Indianapolis, you know, like just these schools like in the area. And after I got my degree, I had people and mentors say, why didn't you go to Ivy League schools? Like, why didn't, did you not apply? Did you not try to get into an Ivy League school? It never dawned on me, never dawned on me that I could or should go to an Ivy League school. Because no one ever said that. Where my mom did say, like, you need to go to college and you're so smart and you can do it. You know, she pushed me to that. But my mom didn't go to college until she was in her late 30s. So she just thought for me to go to college right out of high school, that's good enough. That's great. Just go get a degree. I don't care where. I don't care what. Just just go straight to school and get a degree. And so, um, you know, so I never really dreamed big coming out of my small town just outside of Louisville, you know, and so I do think that if I had dreamed bigger at a younger age, and if I had been a little more fearless to to make bigger, better friends and surround myself with people that I could learn from earlier, um, I could have gotten there even faster. But now I feel like I've, I've done that. I'm, I'm pretty bold now. I will just ask Usually I'll ask a friend to introduce me. Hey, who do you know that's in the million dollar club? <laughs> you know, who do you know that has a has a big training company that I could learn from that would be willing to talk to me? And I've met amazing people, um, you know, several NSAers that have companies and they're getting ready to retire and, and sell the companies or pass them to their children and things like that. And they're they're passing on their wisdom to me, which is so kind of them. No, that's so great. So really, uh, dream bigger, surround yourself with uh, people that intimidate you or smarter than you, and then and then go ask for it. Ask for, uh, you know, whatever that you're, make a powerful request. Uh, that's really what, uh, that's amazing. So just out of curiosity, Cara, so was there, what shifted for you in, in the sense, sounds like you're doing exactly that right now in terms of dreaming bigger and surrounding yourself with uh, people that intimidate you and asking for it. So when did that shift happen for you? Like what change or what, what switched for you that, that people can look out for for themselves in their lives? Was it success? Was it 
more confidence that came with doing uh, speaking at a national level or was there a moment that you said you know what from now on this is it i'm a different yeah. person yeah um so i got after my mba i got a sales coach because i realized that i didn't really know how to sell i could run a financial model i could do marketing market research i could do the operations side but i didn't know how to close a deal and that wasn't a class that was in my mba so i had a sales coach and it was interesting because she told me um right when i started working with her she said what do you want to hit half million million And I was like, are you kidding me? You are talking about numbers that are impossible, lady. Like, you're nuts if you think that. And she thought I was nuts, that I didn't think that was attainable. And um, and so that really just kind of set in motion me thinking bigger. She's the one who really prompted me to think bigger and to also value what I was doing, right? This is the woman who transitioned my brand and my expertise from a generational approach to reducing employee turnover, you know, making that a much bigger umbrella, making it a a solution to a business problem that's out there. And that is a very costly business problem. So she was saying, okay, if it costs $10,000 to lose a staff member, why wouldn't somebody pay you $10,000 or $20,000 or $50,000 to come help them solve this problem because they're losing 100 people a year? And so you're a minuscule amount of cost to solve a huge costly problem. And she totally shifted my mindset about money. It's not about the one hour on the platform, you know, giving my speech. It's not about the eight days of training. It's about solving the problem. It's about reducing the turnover and the associated costs that come with that turnover. So once she got me thinking in that way, and this, again, it was after my MBA, my MBA didn't teach me that part. It was her sales training that said, you got to figure out your value to the clients. And that really changed everything. And from that point on, we, we've been able to, the, those first three years, we doubled our revenue three years in a row. And now we're still doing 50, you know, close to 50% growth a year um, in top line revenue. So that because we we figured out that it it is valuable and what we do works right if what you do doesn't work then you can't charge that much money but what we do works and so then we get repeat clients and we get the referrals and then it's been able to blossom in that way no that's that's really awesome i think you highlighted the importance of the difference between price and value and the impact you're making with your consulting or speaking and really being conscious of the difference it makes to charge those uh, high rates. Uh, and uh, again, uh, for the benefit of the audience, uh, Cara uh, was named as Workforce Magazine in Chicago, named her as a game changer for her innovative approach to solving generational issues in the workplace. And Recruiter.com listed her in their top 10 company culture experts to watch. So this is really some high accolades coming your way, uh, Cara. So congratulations uh, on that. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about meeting planners because that's a topic that a lot of professional speakers uh, like to understand. What is it that the meeting planners look for and how do you approach them? What's the most effective way to get into their mindset and understand 
uh, how do you pitch your topic, your ideas, your speaking gigs? So any thoughts on that? Absolutely. So instead of thinking about just filling a time slot in their conference, think about solving a problem for their members. Because associations have members who pay the dues to be a member of that organization, and they're paying dues for a reason. They're paying dues to stay up to date on the industry trends and the challenges and best practices in the industry. They're staying, uh, they need to stay up to date with their education requirements and things like that. Of course, they want lobbying efforts at the State House or at Capitol Hill and, and things like that. But that's why they pay their dues. And a big part of why anybody or any organization would join to be a member is to stay on the, the forefront of the industry news. So you've got to figure out what is the problem that's keeping them up at night, whether it is, you know, lack of sales or lack of marketing or lack of stability of the workforce or, you know, any of these different Issues. It could be the regulations or the financial um, business models in that industry that are shifting. You know, some of my clients are law firms and CPA firms, and they're shifting away from the old school billable hourly approach, right? So if law firms and CPA firms are your target market, you better know what these trends are and what's keeping them up at night and, and what, their, what their clients are asking for and driving their business to change to meet the market demands. So really understand the the underlying problems that keep people up at night and when you talk to the event planners you can even ask them what is keeping your members up at night what are they putting on your surveys over and over and over that are the problems and even if you are not a workforce guru like I am you may be able to attach your topic if you do leadership communication um, you know all different types of topics you can attach it to a business problem that they have. So a speaker friend of mine talks about resilience and burnout. And for a while she was in she was kind of seen as a motivational fluffy speaker that it wasn't much content it was like more rah rah inspirational and she said no I have a I have a process for resilience I have a process for eliminating burnout you know it was very very meaty what she was doing but the event planner still put her in the fluffy category based on her title well then she just changed one of her titles and instead of it just saying building resilience it was building resilience to improve employee engagement mm. And then all of a sudden, corporate groups were like, oh, employee engagement. Yep, I need that. I need that. It's a new spin on employee engagement because they're always looking for employee engagement topics. So can it be better leadership for better employee engagement? Can it be better communication for better employee engagement? You know, um, all these different things that if you attach your expertise to a problem that they're actually having and, and talk with the business business owners or the event planners, whoever's booking you, you talk with them about those problems that you solve. Our conversations with our clients are not just about the date, the availability, the price. You know, they'll say, we need a speaker May 19th. What, what do you cost? <laughs> you know, and we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we talk about any cost or your May event or anything, tell me what's going on. Mm. 
what's the problem? Why would you, why would you want me? Why would you want this, you know, my topic or what kind of topics were you looking for? And we always go back to that conversation before we tell them whether we're available and before we start talking numbers. That's great. That's great. That's really awesome. I really like that. And it's really coming, comes back to you listening to who your customer is and really getting into stepping into their world, if you will, and understanding what the problem is. Uh, switching gears here, uh, Cara, in the interest of time, so we're going to switch over to a rapid fire round and ask you a bunch of fun questions. And it's the first response that comes to your mind. So are you ready? I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> All right. The first question for you, Cara, Cara, is who's your favorite music band? Oh, favorite music band. Um, oh, um, I listen to a lot of Broadway. So this is a little tough because <laughs> I, I have a lot of Broadway ones. I think probably my favorite singer of all time is Martina McBride. Mm. Okay, the next one. What's one thing you can do that might surprise other people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I can make a train whistle sound with my fingers. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. That'd be and nobody knows how I do it. It's like magical, but it does sound just like a train. <laughs> okay. What color describes you best? Oh, purple, purple. Mm. If you if you're not watching this on video, I have purple in my hair and I have purple glasses and I wear a lot of purple. Yeah, purple, purple, purple. And if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? Oh, uh, Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Mm. Well, what is the five most important things in life, according to you? Say that again? The five most important things in life, according to you. The five most important things. Wow, these are hard. Okay. Uh, family. Friends. Joy. Um, Making a difference, mm. you know, making making an impact uh, with people and um, rest, true mm. rest, like not just sleep, but the the reset so that you can enjoy the next day. Like self-care, if you will. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> no, that's great. So I've got final three questions for you, Cara, and that is the first one is... What is your current personal or business passion project that they are working on and what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now? Yeah, so uh, as mentioned, we have a new workforce retention boot camp that we just built in the fall. It's an eight-part training series built really for middle management or executive level folks, um, and it focuses every class each month focuses on a different area of employee retention and how to really build a, an organization where people want to work. 
And so we built that in the fall. We've just finished our first cohort, and we have three more cohorts starting this month, and they continue to roll in. So that's really our focus area right now. And in the next six months, um, not just rolling out that program, but we've already had companies that have asked us to license that program to teach it in-house. So my personal project right now is working on a licensing agreement and figuring out all the pieces to that puzzle so that we can spread that message through even more corporate groups. Excellent. And we'll include all of that in our show notes as well and uh, all the social uh, media links that you can reach uh, Cara with. So uh, three, the next question, Cara, for you is three things you are grateful for in life. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, my, my village is amazing. I have a kid and my husband and I both travel for work. And so I have a whole village of friends and family and neighbors who help with my kiddo, uh, with transportation and all that. So I could not do what I do without all of those people, not just family, but friends and neighbors as well. Um, I'm very grateful for my health. Uh, I have had some health scares in the past, and I understand that if you have, if you don't have your health, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And so I'm very glad that I, that I am healthy, and then I um, try to stay healthy for my family. Uh, that's that's very important to me. And um, I think I'm, I'm also grateful for opportunity. You know, we live in America, which I ha- I've never been turned down for an opportunity. And, and with that, I'm grateful for all the strong women who came before me that fought through the glass ceiling and to fought through that. It's not that we have total equality now, whether it's gender or race or religion and things like that. I think we need to absolutely keep working on that. Um, But I am grateful for the time in which I live in the United States of America that I can at 31 years old, quit my job, go start a business and create jobs for people, solve business problems and, and, just be whoever I want to be if if I go for it. So I'm very grateful for those things. No, that's really awesome. And I want to take a moment here, Cara, to acknowledge you for a few things. One is, uh, you know, I, when I listen to you share and share your story and, uh, you know, what comes to mind is your innate desire to help businesses and people succeed. I mean, that's really making a difference outside of yourself and that's really what stands out secondly the other thing that i'm noticing is just your ability to take a setback and bounce back and see opportunities in the process and capitalize on it it's such an inspiring thing to so many people to know and learn about that that disappointments and are just stepping stones to greater success and finally uh what i also realize is that you know, you are somebody who dreams big and goes for it. It's uh, and surrounds yourself with people that play at a very high level, and uh, and then in that process, you're not only making your life, your village better, but everybody around you as well. So I think uh, that's so inspiring. So thank you for being who you are and doing what you do. Thank you so much for having me, and this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate the invitation. My pleasure. And one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? 
Oh, my goodness. You have asked me questions that I have never been asked in an interview in a podcast. So if, if this is how deep you're going with your guests, this is just an incredible podcast to listen to because it takes the conversation to another level. And I feel like you really grabbed all the different aspects of my life and told a whole picture story of uh, of my business and the success that I've, I've been able to achieve so far. So it's a great, great story um, to, to be able to dive into with all these different experts you're talking with. Great. I thank you again. And I really appreciate uh, our conversation tonight. And then this has been really great. And with that, for everybody listening, we'll wrap up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Carla Rass. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.